This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Alex will answer the phone. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from with your questions, comments, ideas, or whatever it happens to be. Mr. Kelly, before you take off. Yes, sir. uh, That hand sanitizer that we have uh, sitting around in various locations, Mm -hmm. It stinks. <laughs> God, it's horrible. You know, I heard that. I haven't used any, and I heard that, and I think they're changing it out now, so we have stinkless Stinkin'. hand sanitizer. I mean, that yes. is just crazy. That's what I've heard. I, mean, I can smell it. I can hold my hands, like, <laughs> stretch oh, out my arms. I can still smell it. Yeah? It's just horrible. Well, does it kill the virus? Maybe it scares no it away. Idea. It smells so bad. That's the that's the key. We'll find out. The virus doesn't like bad smells. Because I know you use a lot. You know, I see you constantly Yeah, I use using. these. Yeah, wipes. Wipes. Right. Yes, I use those quite a bit. Like but, I mean, that stuff and that fancy-smancy right applicator is... Yeah, and they are fancy applicators. They're, yes, like, they they're are. like chrome and they're... <laughs> You just wipe your hand or put your hand under them and they work. It's like, wow, this is fancy. Yeah. Now, you know, here, did you notice at the front now they have a thermometer? No. Yes. And they also have gloves. Oh, is that what that stuff is? Kind of makes me nervous. Yeah. I don't know what the gloves are for. (laughs) But anyway. Uh, Well, anyway, I just didn't know if you'd use that stuff because I hate it. I I didn't realize it. And I even, you know, rinsed my hands afterwards. It didn't get rid of the smell. Oh, man. Embedded. I'm glad you're across the room. (laughs) Exactly. Great, thanks. Yes, folks, it is Saturday, and we're going to get together and have a discussion about your yard and uh, whatever you'd like to talk about. How about your houseplants? How are they doing? And uh, anything that you want to talk about related to plant material. Should you be out pruning? Should you be out having someone else do the pruning? Should you be climbing trees? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe so. Who knows? Should you be starting to watch out for insects and bugs and diseases like stink bugs and things like that? Uh, The information I'll share is uh, hopefully will help you orchestrate your landscape decisions. So the final judgment is going to be yours, yes, but this will help you, we hope. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me over to talk with you. 
Another very important player, as I said before, is Alex. He's producing. He answers the phone. He pushes all the buttons and everything else. So, again, your first name and where you're calling from. I'm Mike Miller, host of the Garden Hotline since its inception back in 1994. And I can come to your home, do landscape consultations. If you'd like for me to come and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage, that's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. I've already got a couple scheduled for some upcoming Saturdays. One, uh, just various locations throughout the metropolitan areas. Well, anyway, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. There's a circular sign that says Railroad Crossing. The ornamental grasses are all tanned for winter. There's a brick wall that serpentines up and around and just keeps moving downhill. Golden Groove Bamboo is just back up the hill a little bit. Giant boulder wall is highlighted with nature's powdered sugar. A uh, fence covered with euonymus, a cyclone fence type thing. And, uh, well, is it cyclone? I don't know. Maybe it's tornado fence. Who knows? Anyway, there's a sign that says no bus loading or unloading. Overhead, a bridge leading from the parking lot to the entrance. A trio of flags were wiggling in the breeze. The perennial beds were sound asleep. I could almost hear them snoring or at least breathing. There is a a cigarette reminder that says no smoking beyond this point. The sycamore trees in the background, well, their fallen leaves are laying and just kind of covering the perennial areas. Uh, It makes it look really kind of aesthetically spicy. And where am I? Well, I'm at the south entrance to the St. Louis Zoo, which the south entrance is closed. I don't know if it's closed permanently. It says it's closed today. And it advised you to go to the north entrance to get in. And uh, the zoo values your safety. So reservations are required to go to the St. Louis Zoo. You can go to stlzoo.org. And uh, basically, if you're going to go, you're going to have to go, you know, be there at your time slot, enter the line, have your tickets ready. And then there is walk-in reservations may be available, too. The reason why I'm bringing this up, I believe Monday is Groundhog Day. So for a couple years, (laughs) Tracy and I went, we don't go to Punxsutawney Phil and watch him. But they would bring out the groundhog, one of the zookeepers would bring out the groundhog here at our zoo and it was always hilarious. Hilarious. He would sit him down, and the groundhog would just run back towards where he came out of. So I don't know if he ever got to see his shadow or not. I don't even know if he was conscious of what they were trying to make him do, but it was always just hilarious. So that's why I decided to go to the zoo today because for a couple of years in a row, we went and saw him, but he did the same thing. I guess it was the same groundhog. And uh, so we decided, well, since we've seen him do it a couple times, maybe we'll just sort of skip it, uh, you know, the last year. And obviously this year we don't know, uh, you know, I I doubt if we're going to go on Monday or not. But anyway, so that's why I decided to go to the zoo because of Groundhog Day on February coming up really, really soon. January is another month that hasn't been too bad, to be honest with you, I don't think. Weather-wise, plant material-wise... More and more things are starting to kind of eke out of uh, wintertime. Definitely a lot of the bulbs and stuff. We were uh, at a place the other day, and we bought uh, a hyacinth bulb that's in a jar. And the hyacinth is uh, 
well-rooted, so the the roots are going down into the jar, into the water. So probably uh, the the buds maybe two and a half inches, so we probably got another couple weeks, probably 14 days, maybe a little bit more, before we're going to actually see it open up and flower. And uh, so we decided to get that and a few other things just to kind of brighten things up because it is getting a little dull. So if you do have any questions or concerns or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Should you be pruning your spring flowering shrubs or trees? Hmm, maybe that's a question you should ask. Maybe you have some in your landscape that you're unsure of what they are, or maybe you could describe them and I could help you out a little bit. Anyway, let's head over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry, how are you? Um, I'm fine. Um, what I'd like to ask is, where in the St. Louis area can I find uh, pine needles for my azaleas and uh, different plants that are acid-loving? Basically, go to the stlcompost.com. Go to their website. They have things called pine finds, and it's not pine needles per se, but uh, that's probably the best place you can find it. Okay, thank you. Sure. Yeah, they've got all kinds of organic things, and the acidity of the pine needles is great, but they've got other types of mulch that you can put over acid-loving plants that is going to have that same thing. Personally, I like to use a cedar, which is cedars or sliced junipers, and that has an acidic quality too. So, And to be honest with you, uh, we live right across the street from Christie Park, and there's quite a few white pines out there. So sometimes I just uh, I pick up pine cones and I rake up pine needles and I bring them back and put them under, you know, a few things just for something a little bit different, you know, as far as looking go. I'm not saying you should go out to a park and rake up stuff. But uh, anyway, so just check out the, you know, St. Louis Composting's website and you're going to find exactly what you need. Any 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Well, the snow was, you know, fantastic. It was too bad it kind of went away really uh, somewhat quickly. Uh, But it wasn't a snow that if you had, growing up myself, we only had sleds. We didn't have any boards. We didn't have any disc or anything at all. So a, a snow like this would be totally useless. But uh, there was several kids in our neighborhood across uh, Christie Park has been subdivided, and anyway, there's a really steep hill, and these kids were having such a great time. They had the disc or the, or the more or less the snowboards and everything else, and they were going up and down, and it was working out perfectly. But the ones that were the most entertaining were the, the kids that live across the alley from us. They've got an ATV, and the son is you know old enough. He's got a driver's license and everything else. But his sister is probably a couple years younger. She's a hockey player, which doesn't really have anything to do with this, but I thought I'd give you know that information out anyway. But they had an inflatable thing, and he was going around in the park, and they had the inflatable, like, more or less inner tube, and she was sitting in it and riding, and he was riding through the park, 
and they were spinning all over the place, and it was just absolutely fantastic. But one thing the snow is going to, you know, is going to really help. I don't know how much rain we're going to have today or anything else, but the moisture was really is still needed. The ground is still pretty dry as far as depth-wise. So this is really something that's going to be to the advantage of the plant material because there's nothing worse than dry winter time, and that's because the air pockets that are around, you know, the air pockets will be formed when the soil gets really dry. And then cool air, cold air is going to sink down in there, and it could do, you know, could do some damage to root systems on trees and shrubs and all kinds of different things. Usually the perennials are not so much impacted, definitely not the, you know, the spring flowering bulbs or something along that line. But uh, the woody plant material, they can have some, you know, some damage as a result of that. If you do want to head out and, uh, you know, on a day maybe not like today because of the potential forecast with the rain and everything else, and do some pruning. You do not really want to do any kind of pruning on any of your spring flowering shrubs because if you prune them now, you're basically eliminating those branches where potential flowers were on. Now, you can start start looking around, though, and just, I mean, take your, your thumbnail and scrape some of, of the branches or twigs or stems or whatever and see if they are, are actually functional. You should be able to tell by the buds on the end of it because... Now, every day that goes by, the, the buds on the spring flowering things are getting bigger and bigger and bigger as a result of just the days getting longer. The temperature is not all that much different. But uh, I haven't seen any that are showing any kind of opening at all, be it crabapple, be it magnolia, or anything else. But uh, another thing, a neighbor uh, you know, was out, and they were really, I guess they, you know, had a whole bunch of debris in their backyard or whatever across the fence from their backyard, and their property backs up to a cemetery. And they cleaned so much debris out, they filled several dumpsters, yard waste dumpsters, with this debris. And uh, I'm sure their landscape is going to look a lot better as a result of that. Thing, other things that you need to be, you know, thinking about. This is probably this is going to be the best time of year. To, I'm going to, you know, I say this every week, is to get that soil test done and find out what's going on in your ground because the soil test is going to make a huge difference on what you should be putting on the ground, in the ground, and everything else. Because if you've got an adequate amount of certain nutrients in the ground and you put a fertilizer down that has more of that particular or those type of nutrients, you can create more of a problem than you're doing good. We always think fertilizer is going to be the answer for the plant material, but it's not necessarily. Phosphorus and potassium stay in your soil for a considerable amount of time, and those are the last two numbers on a bag of fertilizer. So you just got to be really, really cautious about putting too much down because if it becomes extravagant, which a soil test will tell you, if it's an extravagant level, then that could actually do bad or be bad news for the plant nutrient system. So let's head now over to Olivet and go into Gary's yard. Hi, Gary. Oh, thanks ever so much. Sure. Uh, uh, question is, is my butterfly bushes, I need to prune them. How far back or how much do I need to leave after pruning? Uh Ideally, you don't need, you know, you're pruning just because you don't like how they look. I mean, as far as size wise. No, <coughs> pardon me. I'm sorry. No, I thought I, I thought I was supposed to prune them. No, you don't have to. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That's if we're talking better. about the butter, you know, the budlias, which have the gray foliage 
and kind of mm-hmm. the you know the pale purplish bluish flowers, and they're yes, shrub like, then you don't have to prune yep. them at all. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> Saves me some time. Thanks yeah. a million. <laughs> right, and you know, <laughs> but since they're summer bloomers, if you did want to prune, or somebody has some butterfly bushes that they're a little bit larger than what they want. You can get them pruned. You can prune them now, all the way up until the new growth begins in the springtime, and that oh. then the flower buds start forming after the foliage starts coming out, and so you're completely safe to do it if you want. Well, no, no, I'm I'm not going to touch them. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> sure, my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, that's you know that's kind of nice where you can have certain things that. Uh, there's no reason to prune. Some things you should be pruning. Uh, I was, you know, you've probably heard me talking about uh, my good gardening stroll this morning over by the zoo. And, uh, you know, there were some, some knockout roses. And somebody, I drove by their house. And I kind of know they're knockout roses because I drive by that house quite often. And they've cut <laughs> them back down to about a, a foot. And so I'm going to oh be real gosh. interested to see how those things really look in the springtime because they were probably like four or five feet tall, you know, big. But anyway, thanks, oh Gary. God. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. And uh, just the pruning in general, we've got uh, this whole idea with the pruning that sometimes we're just kind of addicted to it. And we do pruning that is not necessary. And, you know, I'm glad I got to sort of save the butterfly bushes from getting pruned because... A lot of times, the more foliage, the more stems, the more everything there is, just the overall health of the plant is going to be that much better. So that's why if you don't have to prune, don't prune. And when you're picking up, you know, the garden centers right now are pretty abandoned. They don't, the the nurseries, the production nurseries and everything will start shipping stuff in probably uh, mid, early to mid-February. That's when a lot of the uh, other things will start showing up too, perennial-wise, those sort of things. But uh, it's just, you know, realize that take a look at when you're buying something, look at the space where you want it to be in your landscape and see what this particular plant mature size-wise is going to be. So you don't sort of like make it so you're going to have to, after a few years, end up, you know, spending too much time or wasting too much time aesthetically and physically and mentally to prune the thing so it fits into the space. And I still, you know, I've been harping on this forever, the fact that I don't, I can't believe how many people put plants, be it barberry, be it roses, be it whatever, be it quince, that have thorns and along a walkway or along a driveway or something like that or a sidewalk down on the street and it's just, you know, that's the kind of stuff that really, you really, I mean, it doesn't make good sense to do. So let's let's head over to Debbie's yard. She lives in St. Charles County. Hi, Debbie. Hello there. I'm just visiting in St. Charles County, oh. but, uh, but I just let you know where I'm calling from. Okay. But actually, I'm calling about uh, something I saw in South Carolina when I was out there. Uh, my daughter received a a bunch of tulips, a dozen tulips, and they were in a glass vase with just water underneath them. And just barely one was budding. And within four days, the whole vase had budded out to beautiful pink tulips. 
And I was wondering, is there anything special in the bottom of those, or can anybody do that? Uh, to do that, to make it that quick, they you know they've been in a you know in a greenhouse circumstance, and so they've probably I don't know if they're putting something into the water, but for them to come you know to fruition that quickly. That's, you know, kind of amazing, but uh, you're not going to be able to do it yourself. And usually tulips, and so they didn't have any soil at all. They were just in pure water. Right. Just the, the probably from about half the bulb down through the roots. Right. Because, I mean, generally tulips are not, it's not advisable to put tulips in water like that. Usually you're not going to see. I didn't think the, so. <laughs> yeah. The hyacinths uh, is the one that's most often done. I'm not saying you can't do it with the, you know, with tulips. You definitely can't do it with daffodils, but uh, that's really surprising that they would pop that quickly. But they had to have something, you know, where they came from before they got into a retail circumstance. So I don't know. It was probably a, a very specific type tulip bulb that can be, you know, that it could be done that way. So oh, I don't so, think uh, it's going to be a normal tulip that you can just buy at a regular store. Well, uh, do you think it would work in, you know, like it would take, you know, uh, two weeks to come out? Or would the bulbs, you know, just get mushy? And Yeah, I think, you know, yeah. I just think regular tulips, you might go online and just check it out. But I just think regular tulips are not going to be, they're not going to function that way. There's only a few different types of bulbs, like I was talking about earlier, that we bought that hyacinth bulb. Uh, they really, I mean, that... Dramatically, they're all over the place, you know, in just like kind of little shot glasses or fancy vases or whatever, where the bottom, let's say, probably 20% of the bulb is in water. Then the root systems grow down and into the water. But uh, other than that, you rarely see anything else that's just coming up out of water. Okay, well, I think I'll try that for my uh, little neighbor lady. (laughs) <laughs> and the, uh, the other question was, she received a uh, armorellus, and it was in a red uh, waxed colored ball. And that thing is beautiful. There were four blossoms on it. And I just wanted to let people know that would be a great Christmas gift Absolutely. for anyone. It was amazing just to watch it right. as it grew each day. So. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. I really enjoy the program and listen all year through. And I'm glad I got to speak with you. Well, great. Well, thanks, Debbie. I greatly appreciate it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Take a look at your house plants, whether they're recent purchases. Let's say you got a poinsettia or something for the holiday season. And just because you're seeing the foliage of your house plants, your tropicals, that look wilted and you're keeping them well watered, maybe you're keeping them overwatered. Because what happens is if you overwater them, then that eliminates you know any kind of air. Here I talk about outside where it gets really cold and then there's air pockets and there could be problems as a result of that. What happens with the house plants, if you overwater them, it takes the air pockets out of the potting mix and then consequently the plants will wilt. 
And so a lot of times people think, well, wilted plant needs water, and that's exactly what it does not need. So if you start to see a plant wilting, then what you should do is wait for a day or so and see, you know, if it's still wilting. If it is, lift the pot and see how heavy the pot is. I'm growing this as, you know, I've talked about a couple different times, rosemary trees. I grow them every year, and uh, I watch them really closely. I When we first get them, I kind of lift the pot up and see how, because usually at the stores, they're going to be pretty light. So at home, when they start, just the tips kind of wilt down a little bit. Then I just lift the pot and think, oh, no, I don't need to water it. So they're just wilting down for whatever reason. So consequently, then I don't water. But when the pot feels really light, then I go ahead and do some watering. So that's, you know, one of the things that you you need to be concerned with is overwatering is probably one of the worst things that we can do with our houseplants. Underwatering is not great, but... Uh, <sighs> Overwatering is almost always deadly. Let's head over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hello. Um, <clears throat> my wife and I are in the process of, of uh, buying a new house, and it's it's uh, the the yard is a total blank canvas. All it is right now is uh, just uh, well, right now it's mud. <laughs> <laughs> the builder, I think, is gonna he's trying to lean towards um, seed and straw. And I, I am not a very big fan of that. I mean, it's it's kind of a crapshoot to me. But um, I'm I'm thinking of just asking him, even if I got we got to pay him extra to put sod down. And I don't know what the best time is. I know it probably wouldn't be too good if there's frost. But um, I don't know what the best time of the year for sod would be. Well, basically, before I did anything related to that, I'd get the soil improved. Like, get a couple inches of compost brought in, you know, after things dry out, add the compost, work that into your soil. Then putting the sod down, the sod, as soon as it becomes available, like the cool season's fescues and bluegrasses are going to be coming available. So if that's the direction you're looking at, they're probably, uh, the sod farms, it's going to be weather dependent, obviously. But uh, sometime around the first to mid-March, they should start, you know, having sod at the garden centers. Okay, yeah, the the soil just to me, I I grew up in the construction industry and it looks it's got kind of a yellowish red look to it, so I I'm assuming it's pretty heavily clay. Right. And to try, to try to try to grow anything on that, whether it's sod, whether it's perennials, whether it's trees, whether it's shrubs, it's going to be a real nightmare. It's going to be very very difficult for the you know, the plant material. So I would, even if you have to be sort of like patient, get that done before you even think about doing anything else as far as installing any kind of plant material. But I completely agree with you that uh, seed and straw is, I don't want to say a nightmare. but It is a nightmare. I'll say it. It's it's a total nightmare. Yeah, but, I mean, you're really looking at like a five-plus-year, you know, project because you have to overseed that many times, once, let's say, in May and then once again in September to get sure. your lawn thick. And the additional f- cost of sod would save you so much of a, let's say, nightmarish potential. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the cost, to me, the cost from sod to seed, seed and straw would be, you know, if you spread it out over that five years, you're right. You're going to 
with seed and straw, you're going to spend just as much, if not more, than you would on side. So Absolutely. That, that, I just was really concerned about the time. So I didn't know that I could start really looking at that seriously mid-March would be, that'd be awesome. I thought it was going to be later than that, but I've been listening to you for years and you are the Bible to me. And so <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah. So, uh, definitely, uh, you know, the sod is something to really consider and the sod farms, as soon as they start cutting, that's when it's going to be available. So, and then if you can contact a retail nursery, that's great. Or if you know where there's a local side farm, maybe they'll deliver directly to you, and that way you can have the pallets brought in. But then you've got to have somebody lay it, so you probably don't want to do that yourself. But get the soil prepared first. New construction soil, a lot of that soil, as you know, since you've related to the construction business, uh, is the subsoil from digging out basements and things like that. Yes, they haul some of it off, but a lot of times they just spread it on the surface. So soil from deep down into the ground up on the surface is not good for virtually anything to grow in. So even if they say, well, we didn't do that, you know, but still that heavy-duty clay soil is going to be really a nightmare. Other things that you, beyond, let's say, sod and seed and all that other stuff, if you live in an area, I don't know where your home is, but uh, if it's an area where there are deer, deer problems, in severe winter, then really is no plant is safe. But uh, as far as woody plant material, let's say you're looking at trees, you might think about a ginkgo tree or let's say trees or shrubs. Ginkgo tree, oak leaf hydrangea, gold thread branch cypress, the hawthorn, the American holly, all the junipers slash cedars. You probably want to get the junipers, get the if you're going to get any kind of junipers, get the ones from, you know, the juniperus chinensis. So, in other words, ones from the Orient as opposed to ones related to our natives because of cedar apple rust. Uh, paperbark birches, Rosa Sharon, blue spruce, hypericum, witch hazel, and vitex. Those are woody plant materials that pretty much, unless the deer are just desperate, they're going to stay away from them. They're going to go after other things as a result of that. Perennial-wise, sedums, vinca minor, which is a early spring flowering ground cover that uh, has bluish flowers, uh, all the butterfly stuff, milkweed, butterfly plants, and things along that line the deer don't care for either. So there are several things that you should probably consider when you're putting your landscape together if you live in an area where deer is potential. Because once they, even in new construction, if they don't have a history of coming through there, but they're in the area, they're going to be drawn to, you know, who knows what. And then once they find things to eat, they're going to keep going same path, same path, and causing damage over and over and over again. Another one nice thing about the, the spring flowering bulbs or just the bulbs in general, deer don't care even for their foliage, let alone they're not going to dig down and get the bulb out of there. But Lycoris, Alliums, Crocus, Glory of Snow, Snowdrops, Cilias, Hyacinths, Grape Hyacinths, the Iris Reticulata, Fritillary, and Daffodils. Deer stay pretty much away. They don't graze on those, even though some of them have some pretty nice foliage. So anyway, 314 Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, some of the perennials that deer do not like, most of the sunflower family they don't care for. So whether it's like Coreopsis, whether it's a purple cone flower, those type things, they don't like it because a lot of times the foliage has kind of a, a fuzzy feel to it. And they don't particularly care for it. So in lamb's ear, they don't like a lot of the herbs too, like this, you know, the Russian sage or some of the other herbs as well. So, and thistle, they don't like either globe thistle. So not too many people want to grow a thistle, even though the globe thistle has a nice purplish blue flower. They don't grow it because it's this. And we all have this sort of idea about what thistle is. Anyway, let's head over to uh, Pat's yard and see what's going on. Hi, Pat. Hi. Hi. Uh, we have we have a wood stove, so we have a lot of wood ash to dispose of. Um, is it good for anything as far as putting it in composting, or is it dangerous and we need to dump it where it's going to kill stuff? <laughs> Uh, it's it's a, it's a big question in our mind these days. Right. Uh, basically, it's not necessarily good. People always think, well, just spread it over your lawn or spread it here or spread it there. It's not necessarily going to be to the advantage of the plant material. So my thought in just in general is just to kind of dispose of it in some other way rather than putting it into your landscape. Because the pH, depending upon what type of wood it is and everything else, is going to make a difference, and it could be to the disadvantage of your plant material. Just because it's, let's say, quasi-organic or it is organic, it doesn't mean it's going to be to the good of your plants. That's kind of what we were thinking, and I actually remember that uh, back in the day they mixed wood ash with water to make lye, <laughs> right. and that didn't sound like it would be good on your grass. Right. Especially without having a soil test, maybe your ground soil pH is already somewhat high, so you just be making it higher. And lawn, people always, with putting, you know, like days of old when everybody was putting lime on their lawn, that is probably the worst thing you can possibly do because lawn likes a slightly acidic soil as opposed to they don't even really like neutral. They like slightly acidic. So when we add, you know, make the pH higher, then it makes it worse for the lawn. Got it. Okay, well, thanks so much. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike, are you there? No, this is Nick, though. Oh, Nick, sorry, my fault. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, Mike, i got a question. i got a row of uh, privet hedge uh, that I planted back in 06. And uh, they're like eight feet tall and about eight feet wide. And I cut them down like twice a year. I cut about a foot or a foot and a half off the top about twice a year. But they're kind of getting to be a, a real hardship for me because i got to get up on a step ladder to cut them. Uh, I'm, I'm wanting to cut them back maybe like about three foot down to about six foot. Do I do that in the wintertime? I probably wouldn't do it during the deepest part of the wintertime, but I'd wait until we get you know, probably past mid-February or so, then I would think you might be okay. As far as what happens if you prune and we get a severe cold, then consequently I'm just saying, well, I'm picking sort of dates out of randomly because if we get a severe cold right after you prune, then it could do some major damage to the branches, you know, the twigs that are still left. So I would wait until usually we're not going to have any severe cold after, let's say, Valentine's Day. Okay. And does that make any difference whether they're evergreen or deciduous hedge? Uh, making... Same thing can happen with either one. So 
Oh, okay. So not in, not in the dead of winter, but when it starts getting a little warmer. Right, exactly. You can in the fall, that's fine. But in the dead of winter, I just you know pruning on something like that, I just don't advise it. Okay, but cutting them back, uh, like I said, they're about uh, cutting them back like two or three foot. Uh, that's not going to kill them or anything. No, it shouldn't. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you very much, Mike. Certainly, my pleasure. And. I'm impressed that you have privet that have, has grown qu- that large that quickly. So let's go now to Dee Dee, and she's from O'Fallon. Hi, Dee Dee. Hi, Mike. Um, I have a question about, I believe my mom and dad have a blood good maple tree that is a little bit taller than their house. And I just wondered, um, I would like to prune it and possibly shape it to make it a little smaller? How much can I take off, and when can I do that? Uh, Generally, I like to, you know, I advise pruning the maples during the summertime. Oh, really? Yeah, there's less less sap flow and things like that. In the wintertime, you can get a lot of sap flow. Tree services will prune, you know, and cut back and everything else during the uh, during the winter, but uh, I just think birch trees, beech trees, and maple trees, summertime pruning is just, you know, something I advise, something I've been doing for a long time myself. And oh, okay. The, and you you say it's a blood good variety? I believe it is. It's got the pretty burgundy leaves, and it, but they they're not the jagged leaves. Yeah, come out yes. burgundy and stay burgundy the whole time? Correct. Yeah, so uh, just, uh, you know, May I don't know how much you want to prune, but uh, just don't kind of cut it off to make it, you know, all rounded or something like that because it, it's really nice aesthetic qualities is from a natural standpoint. Right. That's true. And how about pr- uh, pruning crepe myrtles? Can I do that now? Yes. Uh, I, okay. Again, I would wait until we get, you know, wait for another couple of weeks. But anything crepe myrtle blooms in the summertime, so pruning in the springtime before the new growth begins, in other words, the leaves start coming out, that's when you want to do it. Okay, so like March, yeah, possibly? Or... Yeah, okay. sometime after mid, you know, mid to late February, you've got plenty of time to do it. Probably you're not going to see any new growth until it's all going to be weather-dependent, obviously, because sure. temperature-wise. Probably no no foliage coming out until mid to late April. So you've got you've got a considerable amount of time. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. And let's head over to Troy, Illinois, and I think that's where Alex is from, correct? And so that's where Sue lives. Hi, Sue. Hello. Hi. Um, I have a, a landscaper planted two Japanese maples probably too close together. One grew very tall. It's probably 20 feet tall. The other one is short. It's only about mm, five feet tall and maybe eight feet wide. The short one now has a bald front, I guess you'd say, that faces a larger tree. It's been shaded too much. I want to know if it would be successful to move a uh, Japanese maple that's about 10 years old? Uh, probably not, to be honest with you. First of that's all, one that's of. that large, the root ball is going to be huge and it's going to weigh a ton. And if for to reacclimate it to a new location is going to be iffy at best. So I think you're probably better off to either, you know, just leave it as it is. And you're right. 
The reason why there's no leaves on the one side is because it's overly shaded, even though it, in reality they're sort of shade tolerant. If it's too, you know if it's too dense the shade, then it's going to make it so what's happened to you is going to happen to anyone that has that similar circumstance. But I oh, would right. say you know moving it is going to be more trouble than it's worth. All right, that's what I was afraid of. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really unfortunate thing. It's too bad, you know, again, it's looking at plant material, mature size and everything else. So obviously these were two diff- totally different varieties of, ma- you know, Japanese maples. And consequently, the one is the umbrella one. That's a dissectum one. The height is already set pretty much. They only get wider and wider and wider. So anyway, uh, We're at the top of the hour, so uh, we're not going to be able to take any more phone calls. And so consequently, just hang in there or give us a call to get in line, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back to the deer situation, because we do have deer all over the metropolitan area. Uh, Annual-wise, marigolds, lantana, globe amaranthus, snapdragons, cleome. Deer don't care for any of those. So Mike Miller, KM Marsh Garden Hotline, back after these messages. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, tip of the trowel will be coming up shortly, but right now, give us a call. Alex will answer the phone, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Ideas, questions, comments, or concerns. And Mr. Kelly, before mm-hmm. you take off, uh, how's the birds doing? They're doing great. Uh, the, the finches are just emptying the feeders every day, pretty much. And the Cardinals, I saw a Blue Jay yesterday for the first time in a while. Uh, got the Woodpeckers, and they're keeping me busy. Great. Yes, and it's going to be it's gonna be very muddy feeding them, I think. <laughs> you know, you got the snow, and now you're getting all this rain. Right. I may have to get the, the knee boots out to go feed them later on today. But, yeah, they're keeping us entertained for sure. Well, perfect. Uh, I guess all the Blue Jays must hang out in the city because our neighborhood is just full of them. That's what I heard, and I hadn't seen one in a while. Right. But we had a big, beautiful one on the feeder yesterday right next to a cardinal, and it's it's just uh, it's really pretty. So it's just like baseball. Pretty much, Toronto yes. Blue Jays versus Cardinals. Interleague play right there. Right. Also, say. I want to tell you, uh, I planted some garlic about, oh, it's probably been a few weeks, well, mm-hmm. probably a month or so, and we've got about a dozen little uh, plants coming up out there. This is outside in a little raised garden we have. Are you going to actually eat them, or are you just growing them? Oh, we'll eat them. Oh, Oh, yeah. You like garlic? (laughs) (laughs) Gotta have garlic. You put garlic and butter on cardboard, and it's good. So, yes. (laughs) We will will eat it up, for sure. (laughs) Well, great. Well, thanks. You bet. Yes, folks, and uh, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, how to care for those things. I'll tell you, we were at uh, Brentwood Plaza in that area there, and— the pansies are in large pots, and the, really, the majority of the pansies still look pretty darn good, and we've had some pretty tough cold weather, too. So it just goes to show you a certain—I mean, they are protected because on the back side, uh, they do have a building stored, retail stores and stuff like that, but it was—I was actually surprised. I thought they would have been knocked down by that cold earlier in the week, but they look fine. 
How your bulbs, you know, obviously your grape hyacinths, they've had foliage all winter long. And what happens is right as the foliage starts dying off, that's when I'll start shooting up the flower buds. Then they'll flower and then they'll take a rest period and they'll start producing foliage again. Your ground covers, oh, I saw some ground covers that were still, the people, it's difficult, I have to admit, to get rid of the leaves that have fallen from the trees out of the ground covers, but uh, I always advise people, set your mower high and just mow over the top of it. But uh, your lawn, your perennials, your roses, shrubs, gardens, water gardens, that is, your vines, and I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take. So if I make an advice or I advise or whatever, and it's something you disagree with, well, I understand. So there's lots of different paths to take. So across the big board, that's Alex. He's producing. So when you call your first name and where you're calling from is all he needs. During the week, I do and weekends. I do landscape consulting, so I can come to your home and help you solve some problems. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and the homepage is where my email address and phone number is listed. You can contact me, and we'll set up a time. I pretty much got all of Saturdays filled up in February, but, uh, you know, weekdays and things like that, we'll be working on those as well. Tip of the trials, a special recognition for individual, group, or situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Some of the garden clubs, this is a great time of year to kind of just meet with people. And the garden clubs, the people that are, are usually the ones that attend regularly to the garden clubs, the amount of information they have is just fantastic. And some of the places the garden clubs meet is kind of be would be kind of interesting too, like the Four Winds Garden Club. They meet uh, once the second Wednesday of every month, and they meet at the AKC Museum of Dogs. That's in Queenie Park. So a dog museum for a garden club. <laughs> That's kind of contrary to, to what you might think. And like the Gardeners of Florissant, they meet at the uh, Florissant Valley Christian Church. Gardeners of St. Charles County, they meet at the St. Charles Police Station on Zumbel. And or on a Spencer Road library, depending upon whatever the hap, you know the situation happens to be, and um, they're all just kind of all over the place. And there's a lot of uh, garden clubs like the Gateway Rock Garden Society. They meet at the Botanical Garden, and the Gateway West Genariad Society, Jesnariad, sorry, that's violets, African violets. They meet at the Botanical Garden as well. So they're just kind of all over the place. Anyway, so if you want some information and from people that really know what they're doing, start going to garden club meetings and you'll be absolutely amazed. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's take a call or two before we go on break. Let's go over to Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hey, hi. Uh, Hello. Hi. Love your show. Well, thanks. It's your show, as you know. Yeah, right, right. Uh, I, I planted a bunch of. Uh, I've been I've been here this place fifty years. I planted a bunch of pine trees way back, and I just always rake the pine needles coming down, raked them up and put them around the trees because I thought that I heard way back that it would kill the grass and whatever the pine needles. Mm-hmm. But I heard you talking a little bit about it. Are they actually good to cover stuff up or? 
Because I got a, I got a ton of I got like fifty pines. <laughs> wow! And, I uh, mean, I lined this whole yard with it way back, you know, two acres. Right. And they and they're now they're, you know they're fifty years old now, and I I kept them trimmed up. They're like a tree, you know. Sure. They're not bushed out all the way to the ground. Yeah, let me. So I could, if I'm doing the right thing, just raking up in pine needles and keep putting them around the bottom of the tree, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean that's perfect because it just. I mean, they would just naturally drop if this was a natural setting with nobody raking them up or anything. So the pine needles would just lay there, and that's perfect for the trees. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. The gentleman who called, he wanted to get some to go around acid-loving plants, so around azaleas and hollies and things along that line. I wish I, I wish I, I had him close. I'd give him all he, all he wants. But, <laughs> yeah, so, so they... So I don't have to worry about it. Actually, the grass seems like it does. I way back I planted fescue here way back, and I've it's not you know again the yard's too big to make it really a, a showpiece. But I, I mow it, and it it seems like the pine needles don't kill the grass. Like I always heard years ago, it would, but uh, I guess it it, it won't. Then. Yeah, it won't. It's only when it gets really thick. So again, you know, the lawn in general likes an you know acidic soil. So consequently. You don't have enough of them to actually, the density of them to, you know, pine needles to create a problem for the lawn. But, uh, yeah, it's probably to the advantage as opposed to like I was talking about in the last hour. People putting lime down is probably exactly what you should not be doing. And what you've actually let nature do has worked out perfectly. So I could take, like, if this of flowers, I could take a lot of it and, and if I want to just cover Around the flowers too. Uh, uh, we got, my, I mean, you know, old bushes and stuff. I got here. It wouldn't hurt to put some around that too, or would no, that be good it won't. It generally won't. There are certain plants that like, you know, on a, let's say an alkaline soil like lilacs, because uh, that's just the clematis vines. There are certain plant materials that like an alkalinity versus an acidic. So those are the ones you'd kind of stay away from. But uh, you can easily go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and put the plant material in and just kind of see if it needs an acidic soil or an alkaline soil. And that way it would help you make your decision. One other, one other question. But like I said, these pines are pushing about 50 years. How much longer can I expect to get out of these things? Wow, you're kind of, I mean, obviously. With, you're, with age, you know. Yeah, you're probably in somewhat of a rural setting. Are they white pines? Are they Austrian pines? You know, uh, you know, I don't know this stuff, but to be honest, this stuff, I dug them up out of the woods around here. There's a good old Missouri pine tree, and I kept them trimmed up. They're like a tree, you know, but they're pines. Right. And uh, they're 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 just they're they're just from the uh, from Missouri here, actually from Saint Genevieve's where I got them. Right. Hmm. Because I mean, uh, so in other words, it's not something you bought at a nursery. So you're sure? No, not... no. I dug these. I dug these at a friend of mine's farm. Had them out the group. They were growing in the woods wild. Wow, that's wild yeah. and crazy. But uh, yeah. you know, just what you can do is just take a picture of the needles and take it to your favorite garden center, and they can identify them for you. Okay, so there's look like they're doing good out there. You know, just turn them up, and they're they're hanging in there. So sounds perfect. All right. Thanks. Thanks for your show. Sure. Thanks. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have some phone lines open. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, regardless of what the weather is, I still wear shorts. A couple mornings the other day or this past week, it was pretty chilly. The computer said it was 13. Our backyard thermometer said it was about 13 as well. And, um, you know, my morning walk's usually about 15 or 20 minutes, and then I take one in the afternoon, and that's usually any place between 50 and, you know, an hour and a half or something, depending upon where I end up wandering. But uh, I'm still hanging in there with just wearing shorts. I just ref- – it's denial. That's what it is. I just deny it's cold, but I do have coat on, and I have, you know, earmuffs and whatever. Anyway. Let's head out to Crestwood and go into Russell's yard. Hi, Russell. Hey, I've got a qu- two, uh, two questions about dethatching. Uh, when is the earliest you can do it? And the second one is how often do you have to do it? Uh, if you do it correctly, uh, dethatching-wise, are you using a machine or are you using a rake? Uh, machine. Okay. So you probably just every couple years is all you need to do it. And just don't do it too early because what it does is expose the crown of your lawn. So the crown is where the root system and the, the grass blades meet. And that can, if we get a real severe cold snap, then that could do some damage to the crown of the, you know, of the, your lawn. So probably some, again, sometime after the first of March or so. And don't do it when it's too wet either because you can really do some, create a nightmare from that standpoint. Gotcha. Okay, and then every other year, you think? Uh, you don't probably have to do it that much. If you do it once, okay. and uh, if you were talking core aeration, it's different, but dethatching probably every you know two to three years should be adequate. Gotcha. Thank you. Yep. And if you don't want to, you know, let's say put a calendar onto it, all you need to do is just take a leaf rake out and rake you know a section of your lawn and just see how much thatch there is there. Yeah. And so consequently, even if you bag your clippings and everything else, you're still going to have thatch because thatch is the majority of it is just dead grass blades that just naturally occur. Gotcha. Thank you. Sure. And now let's head over to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. Hey, love our show. Thanks for doing this for us. Hey, I I have a question for you on feeding hydrangeas in the wintertime. Is that a good idea to do that? And if so, when would you do it? Uh, there's no really advantage to you know feeding in the wintertime because the plants are basically shut down. They're almost, they're hibernating. So okay. putting the fertilizer down there, a lot of times it can just be leached past, depending upon how much snow, how much rain, how much whatever, leached past the root system. So that, in other words, the root system can ne- cannot necessarily grab a hold of fertilizer. If it's, I mean, they're still going to be absorbing, you know, some nutrients and some moisture, but from a fertilizing standpoint, winter is not the best time to do it, I wouldn't think. Okay, yeah, I, I, I was debating somebody on that, and they told me that they heard you said that you did it, and I said, well, that doesn't sound like mine. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the other question I had um, with the gentleman that just called in on the on the dispatching, mm-hmm. Um if you're hand raking it, because I typically hand rake my yard um, because I have a lot of acorns that fall. Right. And so I rake those up. Am I doing any damage by, I do that every spring. I rake everything up. No, that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing that whatsoever. 
I wouldn't use necessarily a garden rake. I'd use a leaf rake or a leaf rake, but maybe since you have so many acorns, you need to use something like the garden rake, which is a really stiff one. But the flexibility of the leaf rake is probably, you know, to the advantage if you can use one of those. No, no, I use I use the uh, the leaf rake. Yeah. And then uh, my last question is that I have a lot of uh, uh, of tools that need sharpening, like uh, pruners and uh, loppers. Is there a, a special way to do that? Because if not, I've just been kind of throwing them away every couple of years and getting new ones. Um, but I didn't know if there was a way that you do it or have a recommendation on sharpening them. Yes, I have something that kind of looks like a, it has a handle and it almost looks like a, a it's not really, it's a, you know, it looks like a piece of cement, only it's like pointed and I, that's what I use on my, you know, on mine. And it was something somebody gave me years ago. And so I just been using that same thing to sharpen mine. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing is you might just look around or go online to see about, uh, if somebody will sharpen them for you or just look for sharpening tools. Okay. And like this, I forget what, you know, I can't, it's that my description is not very good, but it's, <laughs> it's not pumice, but it's something kind of like pumice, but it's, you know, it's strong enough and tough enough that it actually you can see where there'd been some chips on a blade and you know uh, I have to strike it and strike it and strike it and strike it but finally I can get it down to before it looks pretty good okay okay well listen I really appreciate your time and um, I always look forward to listening to your show on Saturday mornings you well, have great. A great well, day. yeah thanks for having me on your show yeah and t- you know today is one of those kind of days when I come home it's raining outside I want to work you know do a few things you know, and I might have to do it in the garage. That would this would be one of those days where I would be doing a few other things, but also starting to sharpen some of the tools, whether it's a mower blade or whether it's a lopper or a you know hand pruner or something along that line. So just so I can just be outside and Tracy says, You need to be outside, I'm just you know, give her some fresh air without me being in the house or whatever it happens to be. Anyway, doesn't matter. So let's now head over to Mike's yard. Hi Mike. Yes, good morning, Mike. How you doing? Very good. Good, good. Uh, the last couple of years I've had an uh, uh, issue, I think, you know, crabgrass, and it's mostly along my driveway and sidewalks, you know, where the sun beats down on it most right. of the day, a good part of the day. And for this spring, or coming up, I, you know, I didn't, didn't know if I should mower kind of, you know, and right now it's all kind of brown, you know, dead, gnarly-looking brown grass. Kind of rake that up and put down some compost and seed, are kind of, I mean, I know you can't do any kind of pre-emergent when you're seeding and that, or right. what should I try to do this year? Uh, you can certainly do that, but just realize, you know, it's the heat of those pave- the pavement, that's what's causing the lawn to sort of decline. So right. that's where your trouble comes in. So you can do it and get everything just perfectly done right, but you're still going to have the same circumstance come back in another probably two or three years. So, but yeah, okay. I know a lot of my neighbors don't seem to have that problem, and I don't know if they do anything much different. <laughs> well, uh, you're probably you're, you're being a little bit more critical. You're standing looking straight yeah. down. If you went into their right. yard and looked down, it's probably pretty much the same. Yeah, and I mean, if I do the seeding, then I know you got to wait some time in order to do a pre-emergent, or should I put some pre-emergent down early, then do the seeding later, or 
can I not do both in the same year? Oh, basically? you can do both in the same year, but the pre-emergent goes down basically when the forsythia is in bloom and the grass seed, if you put it down too soon, it's the ground is still going to be cold and it's not going to germinate. So I like to do right. mid to late April, early May for grass seed. Okay, but can I do pre-emergent before that? Yes. Or is that... Yeah, I mean, just read the, you know, the... The pre-emergents are all different, but just read. There's going to yeah. be a, let's say, a time frame where you know you they advise you not to put down any kind of seed, you know, within or, one month, two months, depending upon which variety it is. Right, right. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Certainly. And uh-huh. now let's head over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hello. Hi. Hello, Mike. Um, I had a question. I've been going through my catalogs here from uh, for the winter and. Found this dwarf pomegranate uh, plant. It's an indoor plant. Um, is it, what kind of sunlight does something like that need? Totally as much light as possible, and if you can, you know, put it in you know in front of a south-facing window or a sliding glass door or something like that. It needs a heck of a lot of light, and you might even consider getting some uh, grow lights. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't. We don't have a lot of real good sun, uh, south sunlight, so it's going to need that to to do good, man. Right. If um, you don't have it, it's just going to be very, very disappointing. But grow lights really work pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the other question I had: uh, my fruit trees. Would this be a good time to go and start to oil spray, or that the winter spray they call it? Yeah, the dormant oil spray. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you just want to make sure that it's not going to rain, right? You know, within a day or so after you put it on there. But yeah, this is fine. Okay. And how long do you follow up with that? You mean as far as a second one? Yeah. Now you only need the dormant spray is just once, and that's when the buds are really tight, and so you don't do anything else. If you need to spray again because you have insects or whatever kind of problems, then you use the summer weight oil, which you can do when they're actively growing. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, because the dormant oil sprays, to spray them after the buds have opened up, it'll kill them. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We do have some phone lines open. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, top dressing after core aeration. Just make sure that when you do your core aeration and you do the top dressing, the plants, your lawn is actively growing. Do not do it when it's really hot because you can cause some real problems or when it's overly dry. So in other words, if you're not irrigating your lawn or you don't have an irrigation system or there hasn't been any rain. So the materials really need to be applied evenly. So to try to just go out there with a shovel and throw it, uh, it's probably not the best thing to do. And uh, that you want to have, when you're doing a top dressing, about a quarter to a half inch. That's the best amount that you can use. So let's head over to Lori's yard. Lori, how are you today? I am fine. Good morning. Even though it's rainy, rainy, it's still a good morning. Yes. You've helped me numerous times before. Last weekend... My handicapped niece gave me one of those potted Christmas trees from the stores. 
And this one's not a, it's not a pine. It's in the, um, in the area of like a blue spruce, but it's the green Christmas tree. My goal is to get her up and going better and then to transplant her when she's strong enough as a sapling into the yard where I once had a sweet gum tree taken out. And I need your advice as to how to do this so I don't mess it up. Well, do you do you have is there a tag on the, in this plant? Are you sure it's a hardy variety? No, there was no tag. It's just the you know the typical, but not the the care like you know from the people that provide these. You know, it's not like a. It just was a Christmas tree tag that you know to and from kind okay. of thing, but not no care. You know, so, because I'm curious if I mean there are trees that are not hardy here that can be sold at that time of year. One's a Norfolk mm-hmm. Island pine. So is this really dense and thick, or is it? Or is there a lot of open spaces in between the branches? No, it's, it's thick, okay. but I know that she needs to go into a bigger pot, which I was going to do and keep her into the house until she's sturdy enough to be transplanted to the yard. Which would be, what, you know, some what kind I of mean, soil, you know, and stuff. Yeah, but basically what you want to do is just, you know, however big the, you don't necessarily need to put it into a, you know, a larger pot if you're going to be planting it outside. So, cause consequently, to put it into a larger pot is not really to the advantage of the plant. You just leave it as it is and just dig the hole two times or two to three times the diameter of the pot. And then only about 80% is deep. Now, don't put it right over where the sweet gum was even if the sweet gum was taken out a couple years ago. If it was taken out five-plus years ago, then you can put it, you know, in that location right over where the sweet gum trunk was. But uh, beyond that, three times the diameter of the pot, the root ball, and when you pull it out of the pot, just kind of shake it a little bit, and, you know, what you're trying to do is just loosen some of the root system up. And then only about 80% is deep, so you want the top of the root ball above the surrounding ground. Okay. Well, it'll be perfect in that spot because that sweet gum was taken out, oh gosh, 12, 13 years oh, ago. then you're fine. So, so it's all like, we even dug up the dry rot root, okay. you know, so it's all clear ground there. And then I have to wait what time of the year to transplant her in the pruning season of spring yeah. around Easter? I mean, definitely I'd get it outside because if it's a, tr- you know, true hardy, you know, pine, it's not going to like it inside. It's going to, even if you think everything's fine, you're giving it plenty of light and everything else, it won't do well inside. So get it out. You don't want to necessarily do it when the ground's really wet or anything else, but in the springtime, get it out as soon as you possibly can. Okay. That's what I will do. I thank you very much. Sure. You never steered me wrong before. <laughs> Take care, Mike, and thanks a lot. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Let's head now over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. She lives in Hi, Oakland. Hi, Mike. How are you today? Hi. And, Mike, I have two questions for you. Um, number one, I'd like to just try and, like, start some, like, vegetable plants or something. I've never done it before. Uh, where? What do I do? Do I go buy one of those little things that are a tray that have, like, cube marks in them? Or is this the right time to even try and start things? Uh, 
So you want to try to grow them from seed? Right. That, I mean, I've never done it before, and I just thought, all right, maybe some annuals, something that I'd get a kind of a jump on the season if I got them going under lights in yeah. the basement. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to do it, you know, get a potting mix for starting, you know, plants. So, right. And you, what you want to do is the grow lights, you want to have it really only about two and a half to three inches above the potting, of, above the flats. And okay. you, you could, I mean, you can get the flats, you know, the cell packs or whatever, and just put like two seeds in each little section. That way, whichever one is, you know, the most aggressive or the strongest looking, keep that one. Don't, you know, don't eliminate any of them. But this is going to be a long, involved process. And you're, I mean, bottom heat is really important as far as this goes, too. So when you go to your favorite garden center, if they don't have them, there's a, a company here locally in Earth City called Hummert International. They sell right. all kinds of, you know, products for horticulture. And just get some bottom a bottom heat mat for that thing, too. And just okay. uh, it's going to be... You know, it's going to be fun, but it's not going to, you know, I'm not saying don't do it, but it's a lot of work. Okay. And the, and then the second question I have is I have uh, several, or not several, maybe five or six hydrangeas. And I know they're at least 35 years old because they were here when we moved in. And they're beautiful leaves, but they don't flower anymore. And I thought I heard you say, or maybe I was dreaming it, that maybe I could, since there's like three of them in a row, could I leave the three old ones there because of the real pretty leaves, but then get like three new ones and plant them in between those three, and that way I'd get all the pretty leaves plus maybe some flowers. Yes. I mean, I always advise that. So if somebody doesn't want to get rid of, let's say, some mature plant, but they're still not giving them the aesthetics they want out of that particular plant, to intersparse some newer variety, you know, some newer plants in that, that works very well. And the second thing is, what would be a good hydrangea that, I mean, you know, nice big blooms, what would I ask for? What's a scientific name or what, what are the names of the good ones? Well, do you want one that blooms in the springtime? Yeah, I guess so. Well, um, the, the spring one would be the PG, P-E-E. G E E P G hydrangea that they have the big white balls as far as okay. the blooms go. Okay, P G with and what would be the one for the summer? Uh, there's all kinds. There's many different varieties for the summertime, but the P G is really the only one that that works well in this region for springtime. The rest of them, you could get some of the ones with blues and pinks and you know the limes and you know extended bloomer. The, the lime one. Yeah, I mean that's a summer bloomer. So, so if I wanted to have some spring and some summer, that wouldn't hurt, would it? No, not at all. So, what, what is the name of the one that's lime that everybody's raving about? Uh, just you know, just go to your favorite garden center and tell them you know that you want a lime hydrangea, and they'll show it to you. Gotcha. Well, thanks again for all your help. Sure. And as have far as you know, to go back to the seed a little bit, don't do uh-huh. it too soon. So, in other words. If they start to get too long and you can't get them outside, then you got real trouble. So that's, okay. you know. That's, when would you suggest I start them? Maybe like March or something? Uh, that would probably be a good time. You okay. Know, mid to late March. 
Okay. Thanks so much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go from Mary's yard over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Very good. Hey, thank you for your show. I have a question. I live in town and country where we have a deer problem. And the only uh, flowers I have found that deer don't eat are vincas. The problem I have is I have a large area, and to put in annuals every year is, is a lot of trouble. I, I understand there's a vinca ground cover that comes back. Would that be the same type of flower that maybe the deer would not eat? Well, the vinca is the ground cover vinca and the annual vinca are two completely different things, basically. The ground cover oh. vinca flowers in the early spring. It's an evergreen leaf, and it has blue flowers in the early spring. And do you have any idea if the deer will eat those? Uh, no, it's pretty much uh, they stay away from that particular, you know, that perennial slash ground cover. Oh, okay. And that comes back every year then, right? Yeah, well, it's evergreen. So, yeah, I mean, so it needs, it does much better in a shaded location or a part shaded location versus in direct sun. And that's what I have. Thank you. Okay, Appreciate perfect. your show. Sure, my Thanks. pleasure. Yeah, I mean, as far and then the annual vinca, that's one that has some, you know, the flowers don't even look the same or anything else. Mike Miller, K, MWAS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, let's head over to John's yard. Hi, John. Hi, Mike. Um, I got a question about my knockout rose bushes. Mm-hmm. What would be the best time to trim them? Basically, any time before the new growth begins. So from this point, probably up until mid to late March, any time at that period. Okay, and how much should I trim back? These are huge, by the way. Yeah, I would say you know 20%. You know that would be as much as I'd take off. And if they're still going to be bigger than what you want, then just over the next couple years, you know, don't take them down all at once. Just take them right. down 20% at a time. Okay, thanks a lot, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Now let's go over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Yes, Mike, I have a question. Okay. Okay, it's about um, the follow-up on if I want to start seeds inside. Um, in the old days, I used these big, giant incandescent bulbs, but I've seen in magazines um, what Ellie and LED type of uh, light fixtures say they're the size of like bread transports you know with the plastic transports Mm -hmm. and so but it seems like they have a like an ultraviolet uh spectrum mix do you recommend that are those effective uh i would have to think they are if they've got you know that's you know having that's the full spectrum that's what's really essential and if they don't have the full spectrum even if they're really bright that's not going to be to the advantage of the plant material. Your plant may, you know, your seeds may germinate, but as far as the overall health, that's where the problem is going to come in. So the germination is going to happen anyway, but consequently, how well they're going to grow, that's where you're, you know, if you don't have a full spectrum bulb, that's what you're looking at. So, but oh, if, because, Right, because I don't want the authorities to, to think I'm doing something that, you know, that I might alert some red flags from the thought police if you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i don't think you need to worry about that but uh yeah just make sure i mean 
do a little bit of research on where you know where you're getting them, and go online and just see what kind of bulbs that they're recommending. I just I use per, personally. I've been using the fluorescent grow lights f- for decades, and that's just wow. the one I grow. Oh wow! Well, thank you so much. Uh, uh, we love your show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Now let's go from Bob over to Larry's yard. Hi, Larry. Good morning. Hi. Uh, I live out in Chesterfield. Uh, I I know I did something wrong because I've I've got a I've got like a three quarter acre yard. Eighty uh, percent of it, the grass is as good as it can be. I've got a, a relatively large area, twenty percent of it that is just uh, almost bare, and I didn't plant grass seed in the fall. What do you do in the spring if you want to try to plant grass seed and you worry about the putting weed killer down? Well, weed killer, if it's a broadleaf weed killer, it can impact, you know, newly germinated seed. Even though the grass is a narrow blade, you just have to watch out about putting down, you know, an herbicide. I would say the area that you're doing, just don't put any kind of weed killer in that area at all. And don't put the seed down too soon or too early because it's not going to germinate in, you know, anyway. So I would say mid to late April would be as soon as I'd put any kind of seed down. Just rough the soil up a little bit and put some seed down. Yeah, just rake it, and then, you know, it, ideally what you should do is put the seed down and just cover it with about a quarter or a half inch of compost, and that will help, you know, let's say neutralize it, not neutral, uh, give it some nutrients and give it some protection too. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, and now let's go over to Nancy Jard. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. Um, I've got a section of my yard we have beautiful grass, but we have Bermuda grass encroaching. Mm. And I have an area about five feet by maybe 20 feet. Can I round up that whole area? Will it help? Yeah, I mean, it'll definitely kill it. Okay. And what what would be a good time for us? Can we do that now and then later on try to get some grass seed and compost in there? No, the Roundup is not going to be effective this early in the season. So you're going to have to wait until, let's say, everything is kind of actively growing before you, the, the effectiveness is going to happen. Okay. And how long should I wait after the Roundup is applied? Let's uh, say, you know, it's, it's April or May and it's time to plant the grass seed. Yeah, I would say, you know, Roundup deactivates as soon as it hits the soil. So that's not the problem. It's just making sure that it's effectively going to be absorbed by the Bermuda that you're trying to kill off before you start monkeying around with the, the whole area. Okay. So at least a couple of weeks. Okay. And do you think this nasty junk will come back, or will that pretty much take care of it? It should, but uh, with anything, it may take another, you know, another application, you know, on little spot treatment type things. Okay. Perfect. Thanks so much for your show, Mike. Sure. And okay. now let's head over to Sally's yard, and she lives in Creve Coeur. Hi, Sally. Hey, good morning, Mike. Um, I have, I'm, I'm looking for um, a suggestion. I would like to create a screen of evergreen shrubs that do not require pruning. I'd like to put three in this spot, and I'd like them to be about six to eight feet wide, and no more than six to eight feet tall for two reasons. Number one, I don't want to prune them to shape them. I want them to grow naturally. And I have power lines above this area. So if it gets too tall anyway, uh, they're, they're going to interfere with the power lines. So 
Um, ideally, I'd like to plant three shrubs next to each other so they sort of grow together but not create a hedge. Um, no more than six to eight feet wide, no more than six to eight feet tall, and uh, I'd like them to be evergreen. Broadleaf evergreen, I would probably look at uh, leather leaf viburnum. V-I-B-U-R-N-U-M. Very good. A- any other a second suggestion? Uh, that I mean, that, they're the toughest, you know, most durable one that's going to grow relatively fast. I don't know how fast you want to, you know, create the screen. I mean, you can always use boxwood, but that's gonna, they're going to take, you know, a long time. You could use American holly or some of the holly, shrub-type hollies, but they're going to be a long time to get themselves established. But from okay. an evergreen standpoint, I think the viburnums are by far the best. Very good. Thank you so very much. Sure, my pleasure. Have a great day. Bye yep. now. And, Don, could you do it kind of quick? Yes, I have a question for you about, about my friend. I called her and asked her what she wanted for Valentine's Day, and she said she wanted an orchid. And I said, we're in a world of I'm going to get an orchid. I've only seen them at the garden, and they're tearing the Ridgeway Center down, so I didn't know where I was going to go. I was walking past Schnucks, and what you call it, and they had orchids in their floral department. And I was wondering, it's all it said about taking care of it is put three ice cubes in it once a week. And I was wondering if you have any suggestions. And I assume it's short-term to use it type of thing. It's not going to live for a long time. So what do you have any suggestions about taking care of it? Uh, basically, that's, I mean, bright sun. That's what they really need. So that's, I mean, if she wants an orchid, that's great. There's a lot of, you can get orchids at florists as well. You can get orchids at Trader Joe's. All kinds of grocery stores have them right now. They're very popular in lots of different locations. Okay. Anything else? Uh, as far as the care-wise, uh, ideally, if she's going to keep it around for a while, there is a fertilizer specifically for the orchids. Just have a read, tell her to read the label. So give her some orchid food at the same time you give her the orchid. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Sure. Yeah, and with the orchids, they're growing, for the most part, they don't all, but they grow in bark. So overwatering is, uh, you know, you don't have to worry too much about, but the three ice cube is a certainly a you know, way to do it. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. Appreciate everybody for having me on your show today, and I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.